theyeshiva.net. I am so glad to be here with all of you this beautiful morning, Monday morning. Gimel Shvat, the third day of Shvat, Gimel Adar, the third day of Adar, 5781, February 15th, 2021. Today's class, as well as the Thursday morning class, is dedicated in the memory of a somebody who I uh, am privileged to be able to call a friend, a senior colleague, an extraordinary source of, of inspiration for so many, Rabbi Josh Gordon, Rabbi Yehoshua Binyamin, Ben Harav Shalom Doiv Ben Gordon, in connection to his fifth yard site, and in tribute to his loving memory and everlasting inspiration. His fifth yard site was a few days ago on Chavtes Shvat, the 29th day of Shvat. And these classes are dedicated by one of his beloved constituents, community members, students, disciples, and friends, Gary Finder, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Gary Finder, and their family. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Rabbi Gordon was the Chabad ambassador sent by the Lubavitcher Rebbe to the Valley in California, in the Los Angeles area, in the early 1970s. And for more than four decades, he really revolutionized the landscape of Judaism in the Valley, creating numerous communities, infrastructures for Jewish life, institutions, building bridges between so many different types of people, building amazing centers. Today there are, I don't know, under his leadership, dozens and dozens of Jewish centers were created. There are schools, camps, shuls, learning programs, social programs, mikvahs, preschools, days, uh, a, a tremendous amount going on. And uh, over the years I visited the valley quite a few times, and uh, had the privilege of spending a lot of time with Rabbi Josh Gordon, and uh, he was a person of true conviction, integrity, kindness, commitment, wisdom, good humor, and just a great spirit of, of generosity, of commitment, he passed away a number of years ago at the age of 66. And his beautiful family and the thousands of uh, people he touched continue his legacy, as do all of the Chabad there in the valley. Today, I don't know, maybe more than 40 couples, even more, I think. And uh, his classes over the web are also very well known. Chabad.org and other places where there are hundreds of thousands and thousands of students over the years. Today we begin a new Mimer. Since Adar came in, our sages tell us in Mesechus Tainus, Adar comes in, you increase in joy. And the ambiance of Purim 
begins to uh, take root in the Jewish world and in the world at large. So we'll begin a Purim de Kemaimer, a discourse on Purim. If you didn't open your source sheets, please do that now so you'll be able to follow inside. Let me begin with a little introduction. This is going to be a Maimer of the Tzemach Tzedek. Usually we learn from the Baal HaTanya, but this is going to be a Maimer of his grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek. Who was the Tzemach Tzedek? Tzemach Tzedek's actual name was Rabbi Menachem Mendel. He had a mother whose name was Dvoira Leah, and she was a daughter of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, was one of the great students of the Magid of Mizrich, who later founded what you would call Hasidus Chabad in the 1770s. The Alter Rebbe had a number of children, three sons and daughters. He was succeeded by his son, Rabbi Doiv Ber, Rabbeinu Doiv Ber, known as the Middle Rebbe, the Middle Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe is the older Rebbe, and then his son, Rebbe Doiv Ber, is known as the Middle Rebbe, the Middle Rebbe. When the Middle Rebbe passed away, he was succeeded by the third Rebbe in the dynasty of Chabad, who was not his son, but his son-in-law, the Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek. His name was Rebbe Nachamendel of Lubavitch, he was born Eru Rosh Hashanah Tovkuf Memtes, the night before Rosh Hashanah, the day before Rosh Hashanah Tovkuf Memtes, which would be 1789. And he passed away, Yud Gimel Nissen, the 13th day of Nissen, Tov Resh Chavav, 1866. Tzmach was born in Lyazhna. Lyazhna is a little town, a little city in Belarus, where his grandfather lived for most of his life. And he passed away in the city of Lubavitch, also in Belarus, where he's buried in the cemetery. The cemetery was vandalized and destroyed by the Germans during the Second World War. But actually, a few tombstones remain, even if shattered. And one of them was the Tzemach Tzedek, who was buried over there a few years ago. I had the privilege of visiting his holy resting place. So Machzadik is known as that name because of his Sfarim. His Sfarim are known as Shailas Utshuvas Tzemach Tzedek or Chidushet Tzemach Tzedek. Now the names of his Sfarim are known as Tzemach Tzedek, which is also the numerical value of his actual name, Menachem Mendel. Just for uh, your knowledge, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was a grandson of his and hence he was named after him. Lubavitcher Rebbe's name, Menachem Mendel, was named after his great-great-grandfather, who was the Tzemach Tzedek, and his wife, her name was Chayim Mushka, she was named after the Tzemach Tzedek's wife. So Rebbe said Chayim Mushka, because they were both descendants of that family, hence the name Schneerson. Schneerson means the son of Schneer, because they all come from Schneer, who was Rabbi Schneer Zalman, the Alter Rebbe. The Tzemach Tzedek has many, many svarim, enormous amount of svarim, both in Nigla, Halacha, his writings on Mishnah, Gemara, Jewish law, uh, answers in halacha, and he was one of the great halachic authorities, the Paiskim of his generation. But he also has an enormous amount of writings in Hasidic thought. And these, unfortunately, most of his writings were burnt in a major fire. But that's not for today's discussion. 
But still what we have is an enormous amount in quantity and of course quality. His Hasidic works have been published in a large set known as Eir HaTayra, 20, 30 books, a lot. Here's one of them. <laughs> this is Eir HaTayra Megillus Esther, you see? Eir HaTayra Megillus Esther. These are his writings on the Megillah. Today we're going to begin a mimer of his that he wrote on Purim. He wrote about, on, I don't know if he wrote on Purim, probably wrote it before Purim or after Purim. And uh, it begins with a statement from the Gemara in Masechta Megillah. Let's go right ahead. If you have the Svarim at home, you can open it up. Two hundred and ninety-three, two hundred and ninety-three. But on the website, on the yeshiva.net, you can download it. So, even if you don't have the sefer, you could follow along. The Person is obligated to become inebriated on Purim until he does not know the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Mardachai. That's what the Gemara tells us in Masech Megillah, Dav Zayin Amud Beis. What is the meaning of this? What are the sages trying to say? What does Rava mean? Why is there such an obligation? Generally, Judaism is not a fan of intoxication. We know the Gemara says in Maseches Erevin, that somebody who davens when he's a shikr, somebody who davens when he's really drunk, it's toyeva. The davening is an abomination. Here, once a year, there's an obligation for a person to become inebriated on Purim until he doesn't know the difference between Arar Haman and Baruch Mardachai. The question is stronger because the whole Purim celebration comes because there's a difference between the two. There's no difference between the two. If Haman and Mardachai are equals, then we wouldn't have what to celebrate. And we're celebrating because Haman was cursed and Mardachai was blessed because Haman was killed and Mardachai was saved because the Jews were rescued from those who wanted to murder them. Yet, we celebrate Purim by not knowing the difference. That, Tzimach Tzedek, is going to get back to at the end of the Maimer. In order to understand this, we first need to introduce the following. He makes the Pasuk says, in Shir Hashirim, Perek Zayim, Pasuk Yud, V'chi keich k'yein ha-toiv, ha-ilach l'doidi l'meisharim, doiv v'siv se-yeshanim. Song of Songs, which is that extraordinary sefer in Tanakh that describes the Anila Doidi Vidoidi Li, the deep perfectionist of the deep relationship between Doidi, between those two people who really cherish each other and feel so connected to each other. And in chapter 7, she describes the features and the qualities of Doidi, of the one I love, and she says, Chikech Kiyein Hatayv. Your mouth, your gums, your mouth, is like the choicest of wines. Let it go, let it flow to my beloved as new wine. 
Doivev Sivse Yeshanam. Doivev Yeshanam means it awakens or it, it triggers, it causes the lips of those who are sleeping to speak. That's what the Pasuk says. Lahavin Mao Shaychas Ayayin Li is Doivev Sivse Yeshanam, the Lechayde Napechu, Ayayin Mevilidei Shene. Al-Khsetik says, I don't understand. The Pasuk says that the wine is Doivev Sivse Yesharim. It, it wakens up, it awakens the lips of those who sleep, that they start speaking. It's the other way around. You see that when you drink, what happens? You get tired, and when you drink a lot, maybe it brings you to sleep. It's not David Sifzi Yeshanim. It doesn't wake up and trigger those who are asleep. On the contrary, it puts them to sleep. <laughs> People drink and they fall asleep. Yayin maybe Yeshanim. And in Zoya, Parashashmini, there's a whole story that the Zoya tells a story of Lamates. That Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yitzchak were traveling on the road. They were going from a city called Beimirunya. They were going to a city called Sipiri. There was another lad, a child, a young person who was also traveling with them. He was on a donkey and the donkey was carrying honey. And this lad was leading the donkey. Rabbi Yehuda is traveling with Rabbi Yitzchak, two of the great Talmudic sages. So Rabbi Yehuda tells Rabbi Yitzchak, Name a miladeir aisa. As we're traveling, zaman shmuzin and taira. Let's talk taira while we're traveling. So Rabbi Yitzchak decides to speak about this pasuk. Chikech kiyein hatoyv hoylech ledaidi lemeisharim, and he says it's referring to the wine of taira. The wine of Torah, it's the best wine in the world, it's good for this world, it's good for the best, the next world, it's the best wine, this wine God likes more than anything else. The child, the, 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 doesn't say how old he was, he was a nar, he was a ravia, he was a, a child. He's listening to the conversation between Abu and Abu Yitzchak. Yeah. And he says, you guys are wrong. It doesn't say v'chikech meyayin miyayin atayv. It says v'chikech kiyayin atayv. It doesn't say your mouth that learns Torah is better than the best wine. It says it's like the best wine. He says if it would have said v'chikech miyayin atayv, great. But it says v'chikech kiyayin atayv. So they were very uh, taken aback. And Rabbi Yehuda tells him, no, you tell us, Pshat. good. I see, you know what you're talking about, you tell us, Pshat. So that's when the child says, I heard the meaning of this is that when somebody learns Torah, and somebody connects to Torah, and the words of Torah come out of the person's mouth, he doesn't only whisper the Torah, he utters the Torah, he speaks the Torah. When, when he learns Torah, he, he, he learns it loud, with a geshmak, with a passion. He doesn't just read the word silently. He says he reads the Torah with a, with a, with a loud voice. Then it's kiyeyin hatayv. Then it's like the best wine. Kechamar tav shosik. It's like the good wine that's not silent. It's full of... Uh, it's full of... Uh, it, it, it generates a sound... So it's like the good wine. As the commentators say, when it's fermenting, 
it's bubbling, it's lebedic. You hear, you hear the sound of the wine, and, and those who are wine connoisseurs know what I'm talking about. Even when they drink the wine, they make sure that the wine also generates a sound. It's good for the wine. So you're learning Torah with your mouth. In other words, you learn with passion, you learn with glee, you learn with an oomph, you learn with a chios, with a lebedikite. You don't just whisper the words. You say them with passion. This is kiei natoiv. It's like the good wine that also generates a sound. Robust. Robust, yes. Very good. This is what the Zohar says. Chamar tov de What is the meaning in all of this? Beerzet, explain this, Yuvan Mahaktim Klolos in Yenez de Purim. We'll understand this by first introducing the general concept of the miracle of Purim. He makes the Pasuk says in the Megillah, chapter 6 of Megillah's Esther, Ba'alayla ha'hu nodedosh nas ha'melech, Va'yoymer lohavi esefer ha'zichrenes divrei ha'yomim. You remember that night the king's sleep was removed from him, meaning he couldn't sleep. So Achashverosh, the king, can't sleep. Tells his servants to bring the Sefer Hazachroinus, the diaries that record all the memories and the stories, Divri Hayamim are the stories that were recorded during the years of his reign as the king of Persia. And of course, we know the continuation of the story. They find there the story recorded that Mordechai saved the king from an assassination attempt by Bixen and Seresh. And the king decides to reward Mordechai. It's brought in the Minhagim of the Maharil, and it's brought in the Rishid, it's brought in the Achreinim, the Akimosha, the Magen Avram. Kshayoyim, avayoyim, elohavi, yasefer, azachreinis, divrei hayamim, v'yisibim, enhagim, kshayoyim, abalayelahu, nadadda, yagbiya, koylai, kisham, ikiranes. It's brought in the Minhagim of the Maharil, who was considered one of the great leaders of Ashkenazic Jewry. And his Minhagim, his traditions and customs have really become entrenched among Ashkenazic Jewry, that when the Balkoider comes to the words Balayla Hahu, he should raise his voice. And you see in many communities when they're reading the Megillah, Balayla Hu Hamelech, his voice is raised. Why? So the Maril said, because that's where the primary miracle begins to take root. So therefore he raises his voice to express that now we're really getting into the meat and the potatoes of the miracle of Purah. But this has to be understood. According to the Maril, the primary miracle is that the king couldn't sleep and he asked them to bring the diaries where the various stories of his reign were recorded. And the truth is, that this notion of the Maril is rooted in a mission in Perkeyavis. The mission says in Perkeyavis in chapter 6, that somebody who says something in the name of the one who said it brings redemption to the world. It 
says in the Megillah that when Bixen and Seresh tried to assassinate the king, and Mordechai became aware of their plot, and he told Esther the queen, and she said it over to the king in the name of Mordechai. She didn't just tell him the story. She said it over, B'Shem Oimra, in the name of the person who told it to her. And what happens? As a result of that, you bring redemption to the world. Years later, because of that, when the king couldn't sleep, he rewarded Mardachai. So we see clearly that the Mishnah says, maybe Geula Le'olam. The Geula, during the time of Purim, came because Esther quoted Mardachai. But the question asks, So it sounds like, what was the primary redemption? What was the primary moment of Geula? Or as the Maril says, Iker Hanes, the fact that the king asked them to bring this diary. But apparently, it's a beautiful story, but that was not the primary miracle. What really changed everything was Esther throwing the feast and pleading with her husband to spear the Jewish people. And that's when she had Haman executed. And then it's when she, and later she asked her husband to nullify, resigned, rescind the decree to not annihilate the Jewish people. Or to put it differently, let's say the story would have not happened. Cheshvedish would not fall asleep, would, would be able to sleep. And they wouldn't bring the diary. The story could have still developed. Esther made a party. She brought her husband to the party. He drank. He asked her what she wants. She said, I want another party. The next day there was another party. He drank again. He asked her what she wants. And now, was the Makkah This is the moment. She said, Me and my nation were sold to be completely exterminated. And he said, Who did it? And she said, Haman. And ultimately, Haman was hung and executed. And then she comes to her husband and she pleads that he should annul the decree. That's, that's the nice. It's a beautiful touch that Haman got to, that Mardukai got to be on the horse of the king and Haman schlepped him around Shushan. It's a, it's a beautiful touch to the story. That's not Iker Hanes. From here it sounds like, though, from the Maharil, based on the Mishnah Prikayavas, it sounds like, in Demis Bashtan and the Nes, like this was it. The explanation in this is Damri Razal, Huva Yalkut. Chazal tell us, and this is brought in Yalkut Shemayni, in Megillus Esther, Yalkut Shemayni is one of the great Midrashim that compiles the various teachings of our sages on the Tanakh. You have Yalkut Shemayni on the Chumash and on the Tanakh, and there's also Yalkut Shemayni on Megillus Esther. So he says, it says in Yalkut, Befirish, not the Doshnas HaMelech, says the Yalkut, Ze Shnas Malkoi Shalaylo. Ze Shinas Malkoi Shalaylo. When it says that that night the king couldn't sleep, it's referring to the king of the world. The king of the world couldn't sleep. Asks the Medrash, Does he usually sleep? It sounds like usually the king of the world is asleep. That night, he was not sleeping. Answers the Medrash, However, when the Jewish people are misaligned when they sin, he makes himself as though he's asleep. Like it says in Tehillim, Ura, wake up. Why should you sleep, Hashem? When they fulfill his will, he does not slumber, nor does he sleep. 
That's the idea of Balayla, who that night, the king was not sleeping anymore, because even though this king never sleeps, but he could make himself asleep. It could seem like he's asleep. The Jewish people embraced his will. He woke up from his slumber. This is what the Medrash says. Yalkut Shimoni on this Pasuk. It's not just referring to the physical Achashverosh. It's referring to Malka Shalom, the king of the world. What does this mean? What does this mean? It looks like Hashem is asleep. The Gemara at the end of Masech Tasaita tells a fascinating story. It's a Mishnah. At the end of Masech Tasaita, Daf Mem Zayin and Daf Mem Ches. Yochanan Koyin Gadol Bittel Asamaoyedim. Yochanan Koyin Gadol, who was a high priest during the era of the Second Beis Hamikdash, he obliterated those who would awake the Jews. Bittel Asamaoyedim. Maoyedim are those, the awakers, the awakeners, those who would awaken people. He brought it to an end. What does this mean? What does it mean? He abolished the awakeners. So the Gemara explains, the Gemara says, What does this mean? What did he do? So the Tzamech Tzaddik continues to quote the Gemara, The Gemara tells over there, the Gemara, the end of Masech Tzaddik, tells the following story, that every single day, the Levim, the Levites, would stand on the platform in the Beis HaMikdash, and they would sing. This was part of the daily rituals in the Beis HaMikdash. And one of their songs was, consisted of these lyrics, Ura Lama Sishan Hashem. They would say this Pasuk, Awaken, why do you sleep Hashem? Which is a verse in Tehillim, Perik Memdalet. Tehillim Psalms, chapter 44, says, Ura, wake up, like we say in L'chadaydi, wake up, Lama Sishan, why are you sleeping Hashem? This was part of the music, part of the songs that the Levim would sing every day in the Beis HaMikdash. We speak about the Shir Shalyam, the song of the day. This was part of the repertoire of the songs. Is there such a concept as sleep before Hashem? You seem to be implying that God is sleeping. And that's why you're saying, come on, wake up. Yeah, Just like you tried to wake up your son this morning. <laughs> wake up, Vashlavstu. Gotta wake up. Or just like you tried to wake yourself up. It says, the same Sefer in Tehillim. Later in Tehillim it says, the guardian of Israel does not sleep, nor does he slumber. That's Tehillim, Kapitel, Kof Chafalaf. One is Mem Dalet, 44. One is 121. So how do you say Ura Hashem? That's what Yochan and Kain Gadl tells these Jews, these Levim, who are called the Ma'iririm. Why are they called the Ma'iririm? Ma'iririm is because they're awakening God. They're saying Ura Hashem. He abolishes this. He says, "Come on, it can't mean this. Why can't it mean this? Because the pasuk says God never sleeps. How could you say Lamasichin Hashem?" Ella, let me explain to you what it means. And a time when the people of Israel are in a state of distress and the idolaters are in a state of peace and prosperity. Regarding such a situation, it says, Awaken, why are you sleeping, Hashem? In other words, this verse likens Hashem's 
seeming disregard for our suffering to sleep in a time when the Jewish people, his children, are in pain. And the oiv de kechavim seemingly are experiencing so much serenity and peace. It seems like God is asleep. It looks like it. That situation in the world is likened to a state, kivayachl, so to speak, of Hashem sleeping. That's what he means, ura lama sishon Hashem. So therefore, Yochan and Kain Gadol felt it was an inappropriate song. And therefore he abolished it. That's what the Gemara says. Yochan and Kain Gadol bitilas hamaerim. Asks it's a machzedek v'lechaidei nemuva. But I don't understand. The me'ach hoshek she Yisrael chaitim v'hem begalos eisis atzmeki yashu kevayachol. If it's true that when the Jewish people sin and they're in Golos, Hashem makes it as though he's asleep, that condition is described as though God is asleep. If that's the case, so why did Yechonagin God abolish those who said this Pasuk? Those who tried to awaken Hashem. What's the problem? She When they were saying Ura, in other words, if David HaMelech could say it in Tehillim, what do you want from them? Why did Yechon and Gadol feel the need to abolish it? Just like it could say in Tehillim that God is asleep, so they could say it. They could say, God, wake up. They were just quoting a Pasuk in Tehillim. In Tehillim it's kosher and they're not allowed to say it. So you say, well, it could be misunderstood. Okay, so explain it to them. You just explain it to them. But if really Chazal, David HaMelech, and the Chazal understood that as a state of sleep, metaphorically speaking, so why, why did uh, Yechon and Kengadl feel the need to abolish it and obliterate it? I don't understand. They were trying to tell Hashem that he should not make himself like he's asleep. Even if he's not really asleep, it shouldn't appear that he's asleep. And like the Pasuk says, God woke up from a state that's comparable to sleep, to a being a sleeper. Here again, it's a metaphor that's used in the Tanakh. Or ha'ira v'hakitza, arouse and awake, all about Hashem. Yochan and Gadol felt that this has to be abolished. Why? Just to, just to give one perspective, the Maharsha over there in the Gemara, he says that what Yochan and Gadol's problem was, he felt it's inappropriate for you, the Levim who were living during a time of peace and prosperity, to recite it in public. Because when the Jews are living in a time of prosperity, the verse is not applicable. It's inapplicable. And therefore he was mevatal the Ma'edinim for his day. And commentators explain that during the time of pain and persecution, then the meaning of this verse is evident to all. We all understand what it means that he's asleep. But during Yechon and Kain Gadol's tenure, the divine favor was manifested among the Jewish people. So people didn't understand the Levim's cry for Hashem to awaken in its figurative sense, because such a plea was not applicable to those times. So they took the Levim's cry literally, if Hashem were sleeping and the Levim wished to awaken him. This is how the Chazayin Yecheskel explains, explains the Gemara. Mm-hmm. The question though is, 
even in the days of Yechem and Kain Gadol. Yeah. Things were not perfect in the Jewish world. In fact, if you know the history of the times of the Yechem and Kain Gadol, there were upheavals as well. So why can't you say that the Leviim were asking Hashem that there should be no form of concealment whatsoever, there should be no form of sleep whatsoever? What was Yechem and Kain Gadol really at? when he abolished all the Awakeners. To understand this, yes, we have to understand why exile is compared to sleep. We're learning here that when the Jews are in exile and in a state of anxiety, it's like Hashem is asleep. Why? What's the, what's the metaphor here? You say it makes like it looks like he's not noticing, he's not conscious, he's not observing. What exactly is the metaphor of sleep? The explanation is Let's speak a little bit about a person sleeping. When a person sleeps, there's a certain element of Istalkus Hamaychen. Istalkus Hamaychen means that his Maychen, his cognitive faculties, his awareness depart. They're not functioning in the same way. Let's see by a person. We want to understand Shina sleep above, let's see sleep here below. Because everything is interconnected. And the world below is a mirror from the world above. The metaphor of a person sleeping is So many of the faculties that he or she employs during the day are not functional. They depart. For example, your power of vision. While you're sleeping, you're not seeing things. Your eyes are usually closed. Even the power of hearing. A person is asleep. Unless you wake them up, or it's a huge sound that wakes them up, they don't hear. You could talk to them. They're not hearing. When we say these faculties depart, we don't mean they authentically depart. They're gone. The faculty, the power of vision or hearing or the other faculties are all there, they're present. It's just that the functionality of that faculty is not manifested. It's not revealed. It's not actualized. Person's eyes are closed. Person is not listening. Person is asleep. But it's not that they don't have the ability. These faculties are not being actualized, they're not being manifested, they're not being expressed. Hispashtus means when something is expressed, it's manifested. What's retained is the core of the faculty in a concealed fashion. It doesn't come out in a practical, manifested way where it's being actually utilized as when a person is awake. Now we'll understand the precision of the psukim, of the verses and the statements of our sages when they speak about heavenly sleep. Why exile is compared to a state of sleeping. What's the definition of galos? That the light of the Ein Saif, the infinite energy, is not so revealed. And it doesn't actualize itself, it's not manifested and expressed 
with its full presence. Even though the truth is that every single moment, even in exile, we say, We say it every morning in davening from Divri Hayam. You give life to everything. And you bring everything out from a state of nothingness into somethingness. In other words, the divine flow of energy gives chius, it gives life, it vivifies, it animates everybody and everything, every single moment. And like we say in the morning, Baruch Sha'amar Vahoya Oila. Baruch Oimer Vahoisa. He says and does. And we say in Davening, he renews every single day the work of creation. So what do you mean that it's a state of sleep where the Eirein Soif, where the energy of the Ein Soif is not expressing itself? True. True. The Oyrein Soiv, the light of Hashem, continues to animate the worlds. Just like a person is alive even when they're asleep. The soul doesn't depart the body. The soul continues to give chiyus to the guf even when a person is asleep. What's not manifested during a person's sleep is the pnimius achayis, the inner personality of the person, the inner faculties of the person. The systems are functioning. The systems are functioning. But he calls it ahamshachichitzainius an external manifestation of life. The inner vision and identity of the person is not manifested when you're asleep. You're not conscious. As he will explain in the Maimer, this is the cause why there could be something called galos. Why there could be a state of exile, physical and spiritual. That's why David says in Tehillim Memdalad, wake up. Why are you sleeping? Or ha'ira v'hakitza, arouse, wake up. When he says, please wake up, what he wants is, he's asking that the internal, the pnimius, the pnimius means the internal aspect of the er should come out. It shouldn't just be that the world functions in a more external fashion. We should be able to feel the pnimius. He will explain what this means. And with this, we go out of galos. But this needs explanation. What does this departure have to do with Galus? What is the meaning in this? So Machzadik explains, the explanation in all of this is, For this we have to introduce the idea that the whole relationship between the Ein Saif and the world is similar to the soul and the body. The Gemara says in Brachas, Dafyud, Barchi Nafshi Es Hashem, just like the soul fills the body, God fills the world. The world, essentially, the whole cosmos, the whole universe, and not just our universe, all the universes, and our planet is like a body, it's a large organism. It's a large, large vehicle, and it facilitates the flow of divine energy. Just like you have electricity that flows through the refrigerator, or through the laptop, or through the vacuum cleaner, or through the air condition, 
and that's what keeps it functional. The body has its own electricity, its own spiritual electricity, the mind and the soul. The consciousness of a person, which it includes the consciousness of a person, and that flows through the body, the guf. Our own neshama and guf is a metaphor, it's a microcosm of the macro. There is the neshama of the universe, the neshama of life, that's called Eirein Seif, the infinite presence. And that flows through the guf. And the first guf, the first organism, is known as the esospherus, the ten spheres. The ten spheres are the ten faculties or ten characteristics that God identifies within his infinite light with which he ch- in which he channels and compresses his light in these ten spheres, these ten points of light, these ten characteristics. Chachma, Bina, Das, Chesed, Guru, Teferis, Netzach, Yisod, Malchus. Kemaimer, those who say Friday, Shabbos, Friday before Mincha, Pasach Elio, it's the introduction of Tikkun Ezeia. So Elio Anavi says, V'chama gufent kinas He speaks there about the system of creation, he says, and you've created many bodies, many gufim. Chesed roi yemina. Chesed kindness is your right arm. Gvura is your left arm. In other words, the spheroids are the original pristine source of the concept of the body. Every sphere, therefore, has a reflection of a certain part of our organism. Chachma bina das are three parts of the brain. Chesed is the right arm, Gvura is the left arm, Teferis, it says there, is the torso, Netzach and Hoyd are the two thighs, Yisoyed is the bris, Malchus is the mouth, our ability to connect, and Malchus is femininity, the relationship between the genders, they become one flesh. So the guf, the physical body, is really a metaphor, it's a mirror, it's a reflection of the cosmic body, which begins with the ten spheres. So the Zoya gives this marshal, you created many bodies. And then the Zoya continues, And when you, the light of infinity, would leave any of them, they remain like a dead body, like a corpse, a body without a soul. Vinikrayim gufen, why are the spheres called bodies? Just like, you can't compare the physical body to the soul. The only way the soul can have an interaction with the physical world, it's through the physical body. The body is basically what takes the soul, and the body becomes a vehicle through which the nefesh could be manifested. When a person, chas v'shalom, passes away, their soul is not affected. Like what happens to electricity after you unplug the refrigerator? The electricity doesn't die. The electricity just retreats back to its natural place. Death, in that sense, can be called being unplugged. A person's soul doesn't die. A soul can't die. Anything that's alive is alive. It doesn't die. The difference between life and death is if the soul is being manifested through the vehicle, through the channel which we call the guf. For the soul to have an impact in the physical world, it has to be manifested in the guf. Without it, it can't have an impact in the physical world. It retreats back to its natural place. Just like the electricity, I can't have a contact directly with electricity. I can't, nobody even ever saw electricity. 
when I have the right keli, when I have the right vessel, it channels the electricity and it allows the refrigerator to function or the computer to function or whatever, the, the telephone to function, etc. In order for the Ein Seif to create Bali Gvul, to create finite creatures, it has to go through the body. That's the metaphor. Just like the soul cannot have an impact on the physical world if it's not manifested through the vehicle called the Guf, the Ein Seif is infinite. If infinity is expressed, everything is infinite. It's part of Ein Saif. In order for the Ein Saif to create a world that's defined and described, a world that exists with things that are called existences, which means they're defined, they're finite, they have descriptions, and they're even physical, for this God's soul has to go into a body. <laughs> What's the body? The body, that's called the spheres. However, there's an important distinction which is going to become very relevant later in the Maimon. But we have to remember that the general divine light which is manifested in the vessels known as the spheroids is a ray of the Ein Saif. It's like a ray of the infinity. It's not like the soul where the very soul is defined and grabbed and contained by the guf. It's true, the soul itself does not get compartmentalized into 248 organs. Only the energy of the soul does. But you can't deny, he says, it's undeniable that the soul is contained by the physical body. The soul goes through a change. Prior to birth, the soul was in a space we would call Ganeiden, which means it's divested from physical space. You can't locate the soul in a particular space before birth. What's the revolution of birth? It's the miracle that the soul is now contained in the body and by the body. And therefore the soul is affected by the events of the body. When you speak about Hashem, you have to understand the whole oil, the divine energy that's enclosed in the vessels, in the divine structures. Unlike the soul and the body, it can be called a ray, a glimmer. A radiance, Avalat Smiyusi is Baruch Hukadosh Hashem's essence never, never is defined by the structures. Vizel, that's what we say every day in davening. This is in Psukid the Zimra, in the, the towards the end of the Halalukas. So we say Yahalalu Hashem Hashem, Kinizgov Shmai Levada. We praise the name of Hashem because His name is exalted. Alone, Pirush. Afilu Shmoihu Nizgov. Even his name is also exalted. Soiviv Kalalman. It transcends the world. Zrak Hoidai al Eretz Vishamayim. We continue. Yahalu Hashem Hashem Kinizgov Shmoilavada. Hoidai. Hoidai is his glory, his radiance extends into the earth and the heavens. Vezawinyan ki hu tsiva vinivro. 
That's the explanation in Torah er, the Maimer of Kibbalah Yehudim. He commands in the same Mizmer in Tehillim, he commands, and they were created. The word is vidnivro, they were created. It's as though they were created alone. They weren't created alone. Hutziva vidnivro. Because the Oyrein Saif that goes into the spheres, that goes into the Kalim, is called Aha'ara. It's a ray. As will, I know some of these things are abstract, especially if you're, if, if the, you're new to this, but it will become more and more clear. Just try to retain the information to the best of your ability. But then the Pasa continues, he uplifted the horn of his nation. What does this mean? So he says, Back to the soul and the body. For the soul to extend throughout all the organs of the body, it first has to be manifested in the head and the brain. The brain is the central space of the soul, and that is where they have the central nervous system. From the brain, the energy could then be distributed to every single organ according to its chemistry. The general life force of the Ein Saif is expressed in Hashemes Yisrael in the souls of the Jewish people. Vezel Yisrael Lirosh. The word Yisrael is a made up of two words. Lirosh, my head. Yisrael, Hashemes Yisrael represent the brain of creation. We spoke that the cosmos is a larger brain. The brain of the, is a larger body, is a larger group. The brain of that is Lirosh. Ubehem val yadam eschalak achakachachius lechalaylamus. And in them and through them, the energy is distributed to all the worlds. That's Nesham Yisrael. This is the deeper meaning. It says in Bereshis, Hashem blew a soul into the nostrils of Adam, and Adam became a Nefesh Chaya, a living soul. And then Hashem says to Adam and Chava, multiply, increase, procreate, uredubit gasayam. And you'll rule the fish of the sea and all the other animals, the birds, etc. So the Tzamech Tzedek says, Ridu doesn't only mean rule. Ridu comes from the word, you'll go down. The Adam is the Nefesh Chai, it's like the brain of creation. Now Ridu, now you have to allow the Chiyas to go down a step lower. It has to go down to the fish of the sea. Because just like the brain, the brain itself stores the life. And from the brain, a person's brain is not functioning, they can't live. Because the brain includes every single element that exists anywhere in the body is in the brain. And any motion, any movement, any functionality in any part of the body, on any level, is in the brain. There's a signal in the brain. It comes from the brain. It exists in the brain. And the brain then channels it to the rest of the body, and the brain continues to maintain it, and the brain continues to instruct it and rule it. it says, The Adam is the seat of the Chiyas. 
Now the chiyus goes down. It devolves, bitgasayom, into the fish, into all the other creations. And in Kabbalah, hey malachim anekroim nuneyam. The fish represent the angels, which are called the fish of the sea. We spoke about the Torah, Erebus, Shalach. We spoke about souls of Alma de Eskastia, the souls that are submerged in the water. In other words, they live within the divine energy. They're not conspicuous. So he says, Because Yisrael are connected to Torah, which is Hashem's highest wisdom, and Torah and Hashem are one. So therefore, the chius goes to the world through Neshama Yisrael, through the head. And the purpose of the creation of the world was for Torah Mitzvahs, as it says in Medrash, and Rashi brings it, the opening of Bereshis. Bereshis, Bishvila Torah, Bishvila Yisrael. Bereshis, Barelikim, Rashi says, is Beis Reishis. Hashem created the world for two Reishis, for two things that are called Reishis, beginnings, Torah and Yisrael. So through Nesham Yisrael, the Ein Soif, the energy is extended into all the worlds, into all the entire body. That's the meaning. Hashem's name is exalted. His ray extends to heaven and earth. Eretz, earth and heaven. Vayarim Karen Liyamah. He lifts up the glory of his nation. What's the connection? The idea is that the rays that go to Eretz V'Shemayim, it goes through Amai. It goes through the nation, through the Shamas Yisrael. Chazal called the Neshamas Yisrael, they call them Banoim, builders, architects, contractors, because they build the world. Where do they build the world? They're like the brain. It's like the explanation with Chazal Just like the world cannot exist without the Ruchis, without the winds. They also can't exist without the Jewish people. What's the connection? What's the connection between the two? What do the Chazal mean with this? We learned one just a moment. We learned this Shabbos a few weeks ago, Torah Er Parshas B'Shalach, Maimer on the Man, Vayem Emoshi Chlu Hayoim. So that's, I think this is what the Tzamaq is referring to. The Alter Rebbe explains there, what do Chazal mean? That just like the world can't exist without winds, it can't exist without the Jewish people. It's a strange, it's a strange metaphor. What do they, what do they mean by that? So the Rebbe explains it, and Samasadik here is just intimating it. Yeah. It's Gemara Tainis Dav Gimel Amid Beis. Just like the world can't exist without Ruchais, it can't exist without Yisrael. So the Alter Rebbe explains in Torah Ar Shalach that Ruchais represent the different sides. Ruach means a wind, Ruach also means a side. Ruach Tzvainis, Ruach Maravis. So he says the various directions represent the fact that the world is a finite place. And that's what makes our world a world. There's a concept called space, there's a concept called time. So the infinity has to be articulated in finiteness. That's what Ruchaisar. That happens through Yisrael. 
Yisrael, Li Rosh, it's like the brain, it articulates the energy in a way that could ultimately be distributed to the body. That's why they're called Banoyim, they build the world. And therefore he says, V'zeo Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu, Hainu Shemitchilu Mesla B'Shoi B'Nesham Yisrael, that Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Echad. First, it's Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu, and then Echad. Here Yisrael, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. In other words, first the light is expressed in the Shamas Yisrael, and then it can be Hashem Echad. What's Echad? Echad is Aleph, Ches Dalet, Ches is eight, which is the seven heavens and the earth. And Dalit is the four directions of the world. From Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, there can then be Hashem Echot. Once the soul is manifested in the brain, it could be distributed to the whole body. So first is Hashem Alekeinu, and then from there could be, could be Hashem Echot. So what's the conclusion of all this? What's the conclusion? So, the Tzemach gives the summation of this right in the beginning of section 3 of Peri Gimel. Take a look. Now we have to understand If so, all of creation and all created beings needed to be, needed to be aligned and committed to the Jewish souls, just like all the limbs are with the head. A leg, a healthy leg, a healthy foot, is completely aligned with the head. Whatever the brain tells it to do, it does. Even if the brain tells the foot, it's time to go into fire. The leg will obey. You have to know why the brain is telling you to do it, but if that's the situation you got to go in to save somebody you love, the leg will obey. Why? Because the leg is not separate. There's complete bittle, there's complete oneness, there's complete alignment. So if everything here is true, the relationship of the world to Nisham Yisrael should be like the regal to the reish, like the leg to the head. What we see in exile is the exact opposite. Not only is the leg not committed to the head. No, the leg fights the head. The leg wants to destroy the head. It's like wanting to destroy your own brain. For this, you have to understand what happens during sleep. And that's what he continues to explain what happens during sleep. That's going to be the next part of the mime. So what's the conclusion here? Let's summarize. So Machzadik began the mimer. Why Purim is a mitzvah to become inebriated through wine? He brought a pasuk from Shir Hashirim Zayin that your mouth is like the choicest of wines and it wakes up those who are asleep, even though he says wine usually puts people to sleep. He discussed what it says that during the Purim, when you read the Megillah, you raise your voice when the king can't fall asleep because that's the primary part of the miracle, even though it seems that's not the main miracle. The main miracle was what Esther did. Not that the king couldn't sleep. He quoted the Medrash that it's referring to Hashem not sleeping. Because even though Hashem never sleeps, but he makes himself as though he's asleep. 
He quoted the Gemara in Saita that explains that Yechanan used to Yechanan abolished those who used to awaken God, so to speak. He said it's inappropriate. He wants to understand why it's inappropriate when it's just a metaphor. For this he began to discuss what sleep is in a person's life. And for this he goes on to explain what sleep when you speak by Hashem. And for this he started to give a long introduction. And the introduction was that the relationship between the divine energy and the world is like the relationship between the soul and the body. The body is the physical vehicle of the soul. And Hashem's soul is also in the body. And what's the body over there? The body is called the Esospherus. They are the vehicle through which the infinity can be articulated into finiteness and vivify all the worlds. But there's a difference. The difference is that the soul is completely contained in the body. This becomes its place. And therefore the essence of the soul is affected by the body. You say this soul is in the guf. When a person is born, the soul came into the body. And it's defined by the body. And it went through a change. When we speak about Hashem, we don't say the infinity of Hashem is now contained within structure, and that's it. That's where God's infinity is. There's no, no, no more infinity. No. It means there's one way of articulating infinity, but you can always connect. There's always the reality of infinity that is all-encompassing, that's not defined by the finiteness. That's a major distinction he's gonna, he makes, which he's still going to get back to. We'll see how important that is. It's not like the soul is now in the body and that's where it is. It's nowhere else. You say, once Hashem's ain't soifers in the essence sphere, that's it. That's not what it means. It means there's still ain't soif in its full presence. But the sphere is allowed that the infinity could be articulated in finiteness to the point that that may be my exclusive perception of reality. You'll have to think about this a little bit. It's not that it redefines infinity, that infinity becomes finite, and that's it. In other words, there's always the posture of infinity that remains, even after, even post-creation. That's why we say, That which vivifies earth and heaven is called hoid. It's like, it's like a ray, a ray of light. When the sun's rays of light come in through the window, as they're coming in right now beautifully, Nobody's going to say that the whole sun is in my room. If the sun would be in my room, I wouldn't be able to speak to you. Even if there are clouds that block the rays of the sun from coming, the sun itself is not affected. You're not going to say, oh, the sun is now blocked, the sun is destroyed. No, the ray is from the sun. It's the way the sun is articulating itself in one direction, in one dimension. It's not the whole sun. Why is that an important metaphor here? That's what he says. That's It's ha'ara. Ha'ara radiance means that it doesn't capture all of infinity and limit it. The infinity remains as is, and as we'll see, one can have a relationship with it. But it's channeled through this ha'ara, through this ray. That's the way infinity is channeled and articulated in a finite world. But it doesn't capture the essence of God and that's it. There's nothing else but the finite expression of it. Then the Tzamech Tzedek explained, and just like for the soul to function in the body, it has to go through the brain, and that's the central nervous system, same is true with all the worlds. There's something called Neshama Sisra, 
What's this concept called Neshama Sisra? Why is the world infatuated with Jews? Why can't we figure out ourselves, who we are? The answer is because Neshama Sisra are the brain through which the divine infinite energy is channeled into the rest of the guf. Even the fish, the malachim, it has to first go through Adam, Nefesh Chai, and then Rudu, it goes through a Yerida, just like the energy in the brain is a much deeper, more intense level, and then it goes to the body. That's why we're called the builders of the world. And that's why the role of the Jewish people in the world is central. There's no world without the Jewish people. There's no history without the Jewish people. There's no alternate reality where the Jew is not important. Now some people might look at this as arrogant and racism, but it's the exact opposite. We're not talking here the Jews as a, as a political party to be able to take away other people's rights or privileges. On the contrary, this is the Jew as a channel for the infinite light of Hashem, which means that the Jew experiences himself as the ultimate shliach, the ultimate eved, who is the channel of Hashem's energy. It's not a, a pompous and hubris statement. You know, when you're chosen by God, it comes with a lot of humility because when infinity chooses you, it means you're nothing. You're just a channel for infinity. Think about that too. So as a result of this, essentially, the Jewish people are like the central nervous system of creation. That's why their impact is so powerful. That's why the relationship to the Jew is so deep. That's why we trigger so much. We don't even know why. Because the Jew was chosen by Hashem and it's deeper. It's, it, the Jew was chosen by Hashem and Yisrael v'kutshabrichu kulachat and b'reishas b'shvil ha'toyda b'shvil Yisrael. The whole chiyus goes through the brain. Yisrael is li-roish. So they're called the banoyim, those who build the world. They build, they're the banoyim of the oil. If so, you would, would, what was a healthy world look like? In a healthy world, every limb of the body turns to the head and says, what now? In a healthy world, but for that, two things have to happen. The head has to know it's a head, and the leg has to know it's a leg. What happens in Gullus? If the head doesn't know it's a head, the foot can't know that it's a foot. As we will see in the continuation of the Mimer. When the head knows that it's a head, and it knows that it's responsible for everything in the body, then the body responds. If the head doesn't know that it's a head, the foot doesn't know that it's a foot. So you have a crisis on two levels. The head doesn't know who he is, the leg doesn't know who he is, and instead of the leg asking the foot where to go, instead of the leg asking the head where to go, I said instead of the leg asking the foot where to go. That's part of Gullus. The leg starts asking the foot where to go. (laughs) So what happens is there is cosmic confusion. Cosmic confusion, this is called Gullus. That's going to be the continuation of the Maimon. We'll take a few questions. Why would the Leviim sing this in the Beis HaMikdash? Isn't Hashem very awake when we have the Beis HaMikdash? That's a good question. And, and why did you, and, and, and if for whatever reason they did, why did Yoichim and God abolish it? Yeah, that's part of the question. I'm a big chassid of these shiurim. I listen to all of the classes. I'm normally listening in the car, driving to work at the time. 
Because of the holiday, I have the day off. What a blast to be able to be part of this class live. Thanks so much for all you do. Sure. Okay, next question. You say, Hashvedish couldn't sleep, and the Medrash says that Hashem also couldn't sleep that night. Does this mean it's as though Hashem was asleep, and then he was aroused to save the Jewish people? December 1941, the Jews were not only a potential threat for annihilation like Purim, but they were being murdered and gassed. The king of the world, the superpower of the world, was asleep. It seemed oblivious. FDR and the 400 rabbis, and he left the White House. We talk about America as the superpower of the world. They were also asleep. They were awakened at Pearl Harbor. The awakening brought America into the war and ultimately resulted in winning the war, saving the Jewish survivors and presenting and preventing the worldwide domination by the Rishayim. Pearl Harbor is what woke up the United States of America from its sleep, and President Roosevelt realized that he has to get involved in the war, and ultimately Hitler was defeated. Is this what you're referring to? Well, we'll see in the continuation of the Maimah how this theme gets developed. It says that Hashem fulfills all the mitzvahs that He gives us. How does Hashem fulfill the mitzvah of drinking on Purim to the point of not knowing the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Mardecha? Good question. We'll see at the end of the Maimah. I don't understand. If drinking is not a nice thing, why do we say that Purim you're supposed to drink? Maybe it means that it's only once a year, so it's, it's permitted. And of course, you should drink after Mincha and then rest, and then you'll wake up for Maidav and you won't be drunk anymore because you're not allowed to daven when you're drunk. Yeah, you're not allowed to daven when you're drunk. Is wine a stimulant to enable speaking or a depressant that puts you to sleep? The truth is you see that it's both. A little wine is a stimulant that gets the quiet one speaking. But wine in excess is a depressant that puts you to sleep and results in not speaking. So I think both are true. It says that tzaddikim are more alive in the next world than the wicked are alive in this world. And the fact is that uh, the soul continues to live. I just want to say that Rabbi Josh Gordon's Website where he teaches Chumash Tehillim, with Chumash Tanya Rambam, has been visited by so many Jews over the around the world since his passing, probably much more than when he was alive. He was a chip of the block. I remember his father. His father was Rabbi Shalom Gordon. He was Makar of many, many Yidin in Maplewood, New Jersey, for decades. Beautiful. I wish you all a beautiful day and a lot of Hatzlacha and everything, and not to be asleep. Um, so interesting, because um, about about 60% of what Rebbe was speaking about this morning, one could hear at a chiropractic, uh, certain chiropractic seminars. That's what they speak about, uh, the life energy going into the body. And God, they, some of them speak about God also. I spoke once, and I spoke about God. I spoke about Pesach, and... Yeah. Right. But for that, the head has to know that it's a head, and the leg then could know that it's a leg. Imagine you come to your brain and you say, 
Come, I need you. The No, I'm not a brain anymore. I quit. I'm now a leg. The power of the body, the brain sometimes does that, and that's, you know, the end of it. We're all in it together. We're all in it together, yeah. You know, a, a person can misconstrue this as a, a form of arrogance and uh, world, you want to dominate the world and you want to be the head and everybody else should be subservient to you, but it's really the opposite. Right. A head that starts feeling arrogant towards the rest of the body is not a head. <laughs> The purpose of the brain is that it takes responsibility. It's, it's aware of its role and it cares. The head cares for every single limb of the body. And if there's a toe that's infected, the head doesn't say, okay, let's cut you off. Ooh, you're weak. Let me amputate you. Let me crush you. Let me abuse you. No, the head feels the pain of every part of the body. The head feels the pain and will do anything to help it heal. And that's really what the real Jew, in other words, a Jew who's, who's, who's a full Jew, is aware of everything. When a Jew sees a bird suffering, tsar balachayim, it hurts him. If there's a tree emaciated, it affects me. If there's a person, could be in Japan or in Alaska or in Africa, or in Africa, who's suffering, it affects the Jew. A head is not just your privilege, you're entitled, you can live in your ivory tower, make your millions of dollars. The idea of the head is the responsibility, the sensitivity, being attentive to everything in the world. The opposite way around. The opposite of arrogance, yeah. The opposite of arrogance. So I'm saying when he says here about the head, it's the concept that the Jewish people carry the achray, is the responsibility to serve as, 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 as a moral guide and a moral conscience, to be able to bring the light of Hashem, the light of infinity into the world through their own humility and their own alignment with the source. Their own alignment with the source. I, I, would, really, I would really explain that in the guf, that the head really has, in a, you know, in a great sense, more hashivas than the toe or the, or the little finger. So how does Rebbe explain the word Hashivas um, in this whole muscle? Well, I think the ultimate truth about a body is that it's one. You know, we don't look at a real, you know, you're a chiropractor, you know, we don't look at a body as different, it's dissect, different, different components that are compartmentalized. We try to look at the body as holistic, as oneness. Yeah. Well, I think that... Uh, Every, 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 every nation, every person has their unique contribution that they make. And everyone has a unique thing that they bring to the world. The Jew is supposed to be a Jew. And the, and the Japanese is a Japanese man. And the, China, the, China, the person from China is a person from China. Seven Nochad. Seven And every soul and every existent being and even every creature has its unique it's unique shlichus, it's unique mission, and the way it manifests God's light in the world, and it achieves its ultimate perfection by being true to who it is. You know, if the heart says, I don't want to be a heart anymore, I want to become a brain. Or I don't want to be a kidney, I want to be a pancreas. I don't want to be a nose, I want to be eyes. Not only are you destroying yourself, you're also affecting the whole ecosystem, the whole organism. You help the world by being you, like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. You don't have to copy anybody else. 
That's why we have no mitzvah to convert non-Jews to Judaism. You don't have to be a Jew to, in order to achieve spiritual perfection. Like the Rambam says, all the pious ones of all the nations of the world have a part in the world to come. Why is that? We don't believe in the concept of Christianity. There's no salvation outside the church. Or in the need to convert, proselytize. That's not part of Jewish doctrine. Why not? If the Maimir is saying what we're saying, try to convert people. But that's not what a real head tries to do. The moment the head says, oh, everybody become me, you're not a head. <laughs> you're a control freak and you need therapy. The role of the real head is, I want that every limb of the body should function in its optimum level. And I'm there for you. And I want you to be able to be a blessing to me, just like I want to be a blessing to you. And that's what Hashem told Avram Avinu the first time. When he speaks to him, he says, All the nations of the world, all the nations of earth, will be blessed through you. The definition of Avram Avinu and of every Jew is that you want to serve as a blessing for every nation, for every culture, for every faith, for every denomination, for every nationality, for every group of people. You want to serve as a blessing. If the head comes and says, oh, everybody become a head. You're not a head. You're a control freak. You need help. The real Rosh is the one who, on the contrary, identifies the strength in every limb, in every organ, in every component of the body, identifies the value of it, the significance of it. When we say, you chose us from among the nations, you loved us, you cherished us, you elevated us. People misunderstand it as this Jewish conception that we're the only ones who matter and everybody else can go jump into the lake and we couldn't care less. And not only that, we want to dominate you and control you and usurp your power. And But we know it's the greatest blood libel, the protocols of the elders of Zion that still circulated in some parts of the world. Because for the most part, wherever Jews have been, they always try to help their society, and whenever they have been given success and prosperity, they usually use it to, use it to help those who are in need. But that's not just random, it's interwoven into the fabric of Judaism. The concept of the Jews being chosen by God is literally akin to the concept of the brain being responsible for everything going on in the body. In other words, you are my ambassadors into the world, so you're going to feel the pain of people more than others. So you're going to be there for the people more than others. So you're ready to take responsibility, not to make them you, but to actually help them be them. That's what a real head is. A real head, a real brain, wants to help each part of the body function in the most efficient way. And when there's something wrong the brain right away is completely attentive to try to find the remedy of how to heal it. So in the cosmic, in the, in the ideal world, right, where the Reish and the Guf are in full synchronization, there's an absolute sense of oneness. And the Jew is not the arrogant person. The Jew is the one who's actually aware that I I'm nothing. I am a channel of the divine infinity bringing it to all of you by first bringing it to me. 
If the brain is not alive, it can't give life to any other part of the body. So this is a very important understanding. That's why his metaphor of the brain is so powerful when you speak about Jewish chosenness. What does it mean to be part of the chosen people? What what does this mean? To be ahead is not an easy job. You, You take full responsibility for everything. You feel the pain in the pinky. So what it really means is, and this is pretty heavy, this is pretty heavy, that when there's a non-Jew suffering in Africa, it's really a Jewish concern more than anything else. Now, of course, we have an Allah You know, you don't first feed the hungry before you feed your own children if they're hungry. So there's a system. But the real concept is, that's why we say in Aleinu, l'sakin o'ilam b'malchus shendalad yud. We await for the rectification of the whole world. And in Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah Davening, we say, Everyone should know that you created it. Everyone. Not just my own little shtibel, you know, my own little vinkal and munsi. The Jew is the one who takes responsibility for the world. Now, why don't we learn about this? Whoever speaks about this? Well, as we're going to see in the Maimer, we are products of a Gullus system. And in Gullus, the head doesn't know he's a head, and the leg doesn't know he's a leg. It's like when you're sleeping. Your head could be where your feet are supposed to be. Your feet are, you know, when you sleep, (laughs) your head could be one side of the bed, the wrong side of the bed, the feet are this side of the bed. You don't know who you are anymore. You're still the same person, but you're not conscious of it. And that's the condition of Golos. Golos means the Jews are not conscious of who they are. And therefore the non-Jews are not conscious of who they are and who the Jews are. (laughs) And the key of Gaul is waking up. Just got to wake up. <laughs> when you wake up, the head is the head and the foot is the foot. <laughs> right? You know, you ever get, you ever put your head in the Negevasa shisel or sometimes your foot? Sometimes, right? If you have Negevasa near the bed and you don't have your glasses or you're a little, you're a little sleepy, right? You can get your foot into the Negevasa shisel. But it's very hard to get your head into the Negevasa unless you're really talented. You really do gymnastics very early in the morning and your head goes down, then you can get your head in the Negevasa shisel. But usually, once you wake up, your feet, not your head. In other words, you become aware. The moment you wake up, everything changes. That's what he's going to explain why Purim, Balailahu, Nadada, the moment reality woke up, things fell into place. Yeah. If the intellect animates the body, what is the soul's relationship to the intellect? Yeah, so the, 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 the life of the body comes from the soul, but the primary place where the soul is manifested is in the brain. Okay, thank you very you much. You understand? Yes, I do. Thank you very much. Yeah. The neshama is contained within the guf? The neshama is contained within the guf. The neshama is contained within the guf, 
But when we speak about the neshama in the guf, there's a certain aspect of the neshama that you say it's in the body, it's inside the body. It's not anymore in Ganeiden, it's in the body. It says, Nefesh Abbasar Badamhi, the oxygen in the blood. The blood has to be oxygenated. The blood brings the oxygen. The blood oxygenates all the cells, yeah. And then it gets into a question of halakha. The word neshama means oxygen, neshima. Breathing, yeah. Breathing, yeah. Breathing, yeah. Breathing, yeah. Right. Is that brain dead, heart dead? Hard dead, brain dead, yeah. That's a when, when, what's, what's, what's considered the termination of life? Right. So look it up. It's, it's beyond the realm of this class. It's very, uh, yeah, yeah. it's a loaded topic. Superficially, I'm not. I'm not an expert in this. Yeah, it's a very good point. A real leader, a real leader is called Reish Bnei Yisrael. You know, Rebbe, Rebbe. The word Rabbi, Rebbe, Reish Beis Yud is Reish Bnei Yisrael, a head of the Jewish people. Why? What's a real Rebbe? There are leaders who want to create followers. <laughs> there are leaders who want people to be subservient to them. There are leaders who want people to nullify themselves in their presence, right? Imagine your brain tells your leg, I don't want you to be a leg anymore. (laughs) I don't want you to have any individual identity. Just nullify yourself to me. Stop, you know, just nullify yourself to me completely. That's not a head. The real brain on the country, the real brain wants every part of the body to maximize its unique and individual potential in the most powerful way through its chemistry and not impose its own reality on the other limbs. The real function of the head is I want to help each limb live according to its own unique calling so that because we're all one... (laughs) Because it's all—it's about all of us together. It's one life. We don't have—we don't have you know fifty trillion lives. Each cell is a different life. It's all one life. I have my responsibility. You have your responsibility. And by you being you, I could be me. By me being me, I could be you. So that's what real leadership is. Real leadership is real teamwork. And real teamwork means I want to see you thriving. And when you thrive, I thrive. When I thrive, you thrive. There's no competition here where you're going to outshine me. You know, the brain says, I don't want anybody to outshine me. <laughs> that's not a healthy brain. That's a brain that eats up its young. So, uh, so that's, the, that's part of this idea. Yeah. And that's what it means to be chosen by God. When you're chosen by God, it means you're chosen by infinity. If you're chosen by infinity, then there's no I. If there's no I, if there's no ego then I'm not here to crush you. <laughs> I'm not even here. You understand? When Hashem chooses you, so who's choosing you? He's choosing you. So to be chosen by God means that you cease to exist as being separate. So not only is Jewish chosenness not about racism or, uh, or exploitation or domination, it's the exact opposite. To be chosen by God means that I have to be much more humble. Because if God is real, then I don't exist as anything separate. So I'm just a channel. So when people say, oh, you're the chosen people. You, you rule the world. It's the exact opposite. <laughs> when you're chosen by God, it means that you don't exist. 
If you feel kirvas alekim litayv, there's no separateness. There's no I that's separate. There's no I that's separate. So then actually the role of the Jew is to reveal that everything is Hashem's energy. So being chosen by Hashem is the opposite of how we usually understand being chosen. You know, you were chosen on the top, so therefore you could do whatever you want, and you could fire whoever you want, and you could manipulate whoever you want, and you can use whoever you want. Here's the exact opposite. It's the responsibility that you have a shlichus, you have a mission. It's, it's, it's a very, very subtle, important idea. Now, a lot of Jews are very uncomfortable with this, like, get me out of this, you know? God, maybe you could choose somebody else, as the famous Reptovius says. Maybe you could choose somebody else. Elie Wiesel once said, of course we're the chosen people, but we weren't necessarily chosen for benefits. And as Rebbe, as Rebbe was explaining, everything is essentially chosen. Every, every person in the world. Exactly. Everything is chosen. An ant is chosen, a leaf is chosen, certainly every human being is chosen. The job of the Jew, the, the Jewish people were chosen to teach everybody that they were chosen. With a particular mission. To, um, with a particular mission. We have a particular responsibility yeah. and mission yeah. to bring Elokus into the world. To bring Elokus in the whole world. That's the job of the Jew. Yeah. Including in a tree, in an ant, in an apple. And When I make a I take an apple, now I was ahead. I took the apple and I helped the apple align itself with its true purpose. Like it says in Kabbalah, I revealed the nitzots, the spark in the apple. And I elevated the spark in the apple. I brought the apple back to Enoid Molvada. That's what Yiddishkeit is. Oh, of course, yeah. That, that's how, it, yeah. Right, yeah. But that's true. Shema Yisrael, Yisrael is Lirosh, Hashem Alekeinu, and then through that, Hashem Echad. Your job is to bring out that Echad in the whole world, including the seven heavens and the earth and the four, the four parts of the world. That's why we're called Banoyim, the, the ultimate contractors. Your responsibility is to build the world, just like the responsibility of the brain is to build the body and to make sure that it's maintained. It's responsible for the structure of the body on every level. Banoyim, we're the builders. And by the way, this is the secret of anti-Semitism. The secret of anti-Semitism is a body that's gone wild. The sickness, yeah. And the Jews don't know. The Jews don't know who they are. The Goyim don't know who they are. It becomes one big chaos, one big mess. The posture, the posture of a healthy body, is the posture of Geula. The posture of Geula. We'll see. The Maimah develops this. It's a very, very powerful ideas. Okay, Chavra. That's the end of davening. Why do we end davening with Aleinu? Why do we... People, people already, by Aleinu, they're running out of shul. They don't realize. Aleinu is really the essence of everything. Aleinu yeah. is the essence. When I was growing up, I noticed an interesting thing, I'll tell you. The Lubavitcher Rebbe used to daven, at least publicly. He davened with the minion, pretty fast pace, ordinary pace. Aleinu, he would always spend extra time on. It was interesting. 
Aleinu would always take much longer. The Rebbe would say Aleinu very, very slow. Like even when the Kadeshim were finishing at the end of he was still saying Aleinu. So, there was a Yid, his name was Kuti Rap, Rebbe Kusil Rap, Zichrenah He was killed in a car accident a few years ago. He's a friend of mine. He was a precious Yid. So he once asked me, do you know why the Rebbe is so Meirich in Aleinu? I said, I don't know. So I'll tell you why. <laughs> because the Rebbe's whole agenda was to bring the Shekhinah down to the world. There should be Geula in the world. And that's Aleinu. So Aleinu, that's the, 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 the summation of the whole davening. <laughs> because really davening is trying to connect the worlds with God. And what's Aleinu? Aleinu is the bottom line. Einoid v'yadaita ki Hashemu alakim v'alkein nekava l'cha Hashem alakeinu l'saken oila b'malchus shindalad yud. Now you can go out to the world. Once you're done with Aleinu, you say some Tehillim after Aleinu. When you finish Aleinu, Mendel, don't forget to say Tehillim before you run to work. When you finish Aleinu, you, uh, you, now you can go out to the world. Now you can take on the world. You don't have to be afraid of anything. When you know that you're the head, you're responsible. You have to be conscientious. You have to be sensitive. The head is more sensitive than anything else. The brain, a, a bruise in the brain, chas v'shalom, the head is very sensitive. But once you know who you are, you can, uh, you can do your job. If you don't know who you are, you're lost, you're lost. You're lost in the world. When Jews don't know who they are, they're lost. And the world is lost. That's the problem. When Jews don't know who they are, they're lost, and the whole world gets lost. Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, would always say this. He said, the world respects Jews who respect Judaism. The world is embarrassed by Jews who are embarrassed by Judaism. Why do they respect Jews who respect Judaism? Because it helps them. <laughs> I, 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 when, when my brain respects itself, it helps me. <laughs> when my brain doesn't respect itself, when my brain says, oh, I'm a shmata, I'm a loser, I'm a nobody, I'm just trying to be like you, then the, the whole body is dysfunctional. Imagine the head tells you, I'm not a head anymore, I'm a shmata, I'm a loser, I'm a layutzlachnik, I'm a nobody, let me just go eat kugel. I mean, nothing against eating kugel, especially so early in the morning, it's probably wonderful. But when the head is not a head, the body is, 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 feels displaced. So when Jews are displaced, the whole world is displaced. Okay, there's a lot to say about this. Thank you so much. fastest way. This was my fastest way. I, would draw, I drove from Muncie to Brooklyn. This was the fastest way I ever did. <laughs> I like that. May you can do it every day. One of the greatest compliments I ever got was from somebody... He would drive every day from Muncie to Brooklyn and back. He commutes for business. And he said the drive was a nightmare because, you know, the traffic on the, on the FDR and the GWs, you know, morning and, and evenings could be, you know, you could sit two hours. A, a trip is supposed to take you an hour, it takes you two hours. And then he said, then I started to listen to your shiurim. And he looks at me and he says, and from that day, I hope that there's traffic so I could finish the class before I get to the office. I said, now that's a compliment. That's good. 
that a Jew should say, I'm hoping that this traffics, I should be able to finish the Shia and have an excuse. <laughs> and I said, well, people complain that the Shurim are too long. He says, no, 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 no. I need it to take me door to door from Muncie to Brooklyn. And if it's two hours traffic, I need a Shia for two hours, please, not a minute less. <laughs> okay. We're soon going to get to two hours, so. You see, we Mayor got from Brooklyn. He got to Brooklyn already, so we're good. Only time in Okay, Chicago to Williamsburg. This class is brought to you by the Yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net/slash/donate.